studio in South Africa. It's time for The Long and Short of It with Simon Hill, Dylan Rogers, and Dale Hayes. Hello there, welcome to the podcast. My name is Simon Hill. And I'm Dylan Rogers. And on today's podcast, Dylan, are we speaking to one of the luckier guys in the game of golf or one of the most unlucky guys to have played the game? Well, certainly for me, one of the more talented guys to have come out of South African golf over the past 20 years. Of course, talking about... 2010 Players' Champion, Tim Clark. But not only the 2010 Players' Champion, because that was the big one. Yeah. He also won two South African Opens. Mm-hmm. He won a Scottish Open. Yep. He won an Australian Open. He was a member of three President's Cup teams, including that big one at Fancourt. Well, from a South African perspective, yep. at least back in 2003. And he's won just shy, I think, of $24 million on tour. But forget all of that, Dill, because you guys actually go way back. Yeah, Tim Clark learned his golf uh, at Umkamas on the... South African South Coast, uh, the KwaZulu-Natal South Coast. And that's where I played a lot of my junior golf and where my mother was actually ladies' captain just a few years ago. And what happened? Tim went on to be really successful and you're here doing this podcast. Yep. <laughs> yep, well, there you go. But it wasn't only on the golf course that you knew each other, hey? No, not at all. Our paths crossed on a completely different field. Say no more, say no more, say no more. Because Dill, myself, and of course Dale Hayes, sat down for a really nice chat with Tim Clark. The long and short of it. And Tim Clark, a couple of hops. Like I say, it's, it's an honor for me to be able to be the Open Champion. Tim Clark with a three hybrid from 220 yards. You know, nothing's going to hold you back at Augusta. You're going to give it all you've got every time. And uh, like I say, it's just a magical place. Special moment. He's a 2010 Players' Champion, a two-time PGA Tour winner, a two-time South African Open champion, and has won 12 times as a pro, along with being a member of the all-conquering 1985 South Coast Boys Under-10 cricket team, where I think he batted somewhere in the middle order. So, warm welcome to the long and the short of it to Tim Clark. Tim, certainly no more cricket for you, but unfortunately, also no more golf, I believe. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's been about five years since I played any competitive golf and, um, you know, just been dealing with a back injury and uh, unfortunately it, it, it doesn't even allow me to go play socially at the moment. So, yeah, the last five years has really been uh, no golf for me. I've, I've maybe played about eight times, um, you know, just to see how it's doing and, uh, yeah, it just doesn't seem to hold up. So, um, yeah, there, there's not been a whole lot of golf in, in, in my life. Uh, in the long-term prognosis, Tim, and your plans, I know you've, you've explored various options about getting it sorted out. I mean, you think you'll be 46 in December, things like the Champions Tour looming in, in a couple of years' time. Do you have a plan for, for, for getting back into golf and getting the back sorted? You know, I, I'm, I'm funny enough, um, traveling tomorrow to Chicago to see a physio that uh, I've been seeing over the last few years. And again, with COVID, I didn't get to see him last year. Um, and, and he tends to, to help me get out of some pain and, and allows me to, to do more of my day-to-day stuff. But, um, yeah, in terms of getting back on the golf course, it's just, uh, it just doesn't look very good. You know, I've got this arthritis in my thoracic spine. And, um, you know, a little over five years ago, I was rehabbing from an elbow surgery. I was doing pretty good. I'd started to play tournaments. And um, during one of my sessions, I had an adjustment on my back and I think it cracked something. And um, obviously we only found out about the the arthritis after I had MRIs, after dealing with this pain. And, um, you know, at this point, 
there's not many surgical options um, for what I have. Um, there has been a suggestion of me taking out some of my part of my ribs where they're attached to the spine. Yeah. But with any surgeries, especially this one, uh, there's a lot of risk. And my concern would be that it would make me worse. You know, not not only wouldn't it allow me to play golf, but it would make me worse. And that, so I've, I've been a bit reluctant to to pull the trigger on having that sort of that surgery. Um, but as time goes, uh, it kind of creeps in more and more that I might try and do it because as I said now, I'll never play golf again, really. Um, which is, which is unfortunate because my son is now nine turning 10. Um, I want to go out and get him playing a little bit more. And, you know, I just want to be able to come out and play with my friends. Um, it's not even a case of playing on tour anymore. It's been five years. It'll be a long road back to doing that. Um, but like you just mentioned, there's the incentive of the Champions Tour, which I always envisioned myself doing one day. Um, I always, you know, you figure you're going to stay healthy and be able to play for a long time. But uh, yeah, this unfortunately came out of nowhere for me and, and um, I'm still dealing with it. I'm still trying to figure things out. And right now it's a case of, you know, if I can do some physio, do some strengthening and get back that way, which I've been doing for the last few years, but it just hasn't... Um, culminated in me being able to play. You know, I'll go out and hit some balls and really I last about 20, 30 minutes and I start to get sore and soon after that I can barely swing a golf club. So yeah, that's kind of where I am, unfortunately. Our apologies. Firstly, that someone like you who's had the career you've had is no longer able to play golf. And secondly, that Dylan opened with that question because as is want on this podcast, I've got about 35 questions here. You know, just easing, meandering through Tim's life and his successes and possibly culminating with, with the injury. So, gee whiz, we are sorry to open up with that one, eh? <laughs> uh, no script, eh, si? No script, mate. Tim, it must be, it must be heartbreaking. I... I, I in all the years that I've been around golf, I don't think I, I know anyone who who's had as much bad luck as you have with your health over the years. Yeah, thanks, Dale. I mean, you know, all the other injuries I never dwelled on because I was able to come back, you know. I was able to have some surgery on my elbows early on in my career in 01. My first year was my wrist went out. I had to have surgery there. But I was always able to come back, which which was nice because you kind of get that renewed lease on golf. You know, when you, when you miss golf for a few months due to injury, it kind of motivates you again and gets you back in. And, and I was lucky to come back and you never know if you're going to find your game again, you know, you, you just don't know. And I was able to do that. You know, again, when I, when I won the Canadian open, that was after my elbow surgery in 2011, I'd started to play good golf, but at that point I already knew that my other elbow had gone. I was just doing things in order to continue and finish out that season. And it was just a matter of time. And unfortunately in Hawaii, I hit one shot and it's pretty much just snapped, you know, the tendons in the end. You know, a lot of these injuries are probably due to the fact that my arms were the way they were, you know, with the lack of supination. Mm -hmm. So what, what actually is that? I mean, you know, you, I've, I've heard you talk about it, but just, just try and explain to us what that is that you were born with. Well, it, yeah, obviously I was born with it. My, my dad had it uh, to a certain extent as well. Um, and there's a small chance my kids might even have it. Right now their arms are kind of okay, but they are starting to get a little tighter, so who knows. But, um, yeah, it's just a case where I cannot rotate my palms towards the sky, So, which is what they call supination. So, 
Um, in the golf swing, hey, probably helped my my ball striking a lot. Uh, that's probably why I hit it so straight. But it's also probably why, why I made those three three foot chip shots pretty tough. <laughs> you know, I, I would just like to say I don't think I ever saw either anybody play short iron shots better than you did. Trevino was good. Uh, Johnny Miller was probably the closest to you. I got the feeling when you stood over an eight iron and nine iron wedge. I honestly got the feeling that you were taking dead aim and you were aiming at the flag and you honestly were looked like you, you know, you, with a bit of luck, if it bounced the right way from the spin, it could go in. Yeah, and I, and I would say that was through the bag. You know, if, if I could reach the green um, within reason, if, if I had a five wood or in, I was pretty confident that I could go at the flag, you know, or, or make a birdie. So uh, I remember the guys used to joke, that my hybrid and my wood were like my fourth and fifth wedges. <laughs> you know, yeah, I guess when I look back at some of the stats, you know, I, I uh, did lead the tour seven times on proximity to hole for the season. And that's through the bag. That's not just on certain yardages. That That's through the bag. So, you know, and, and I had to do that. I, I Obviously, my chipping was always a major weakness in my game, and I, I try to work on it. Uh, there were weeks it was a little bit better than others. And funny enough, the weeks I won, my chipping just wasn't terrible those weeks. You know, I was able to get a few up and down that, that I normally wouldn't. But in the end, I concentrated on my strengths, which was going to be hitting it straight, you know, keeping in play and, and then attacking when I could. I mean, I was I always played pretty smart too because I never wanted to short side myself. So, you know, uh, when there was a green light to go to the flag, I, I, I certainly did try. Had the ability to win the right golf tournaments. I mean, I'm sure as a South African, it was very cool for you to win the South African Open, never mind once you won it twice, to win the Scottish Open, one of the best and biggest tournaments on the European Tour, the Players' Championship, the Canadian, You, when you did win, you picked the right tournaments. Yeah, and I don't know how that worked out. I mean, most of my wins were kind of national opens. You know, there was the one you missed and there was the Australian Open. Um, I only went down there one time to play and... and <laughs> was lucky enough to win. But um, I certainly always enjoyed a, a tougher setup, I would say. Um, a, a golf course that demanded accuracy and, and demanded some thought. You know, I look at the game now and, you know, you, you've seen the whole distance surge uh, with guys. And the good thing is there are still golf courses out there like that, that demand of the player to to play positional and, and, and that. So, yeah, those are always the courses I enjoyed playing and, and Funny enough, I had a lot of good results on the same golf courses through my career. As you said earlier, Tim, I mean, the last time you played was was five years ago. What do you do when you're away from the game for such a long time? Well, I've been very fortunate. I've got two kids. They're now nine and seven. So so when this injury happened, they were like four and uh, two. Um, so it's been nice to spend all that time with the family. Um, you know, I know one day when I look back, I'm not going to look back and think, oh, I missed five years of tournament golf. I'm going to probably look back very fondly that I could spend all this time with the kids, you know. Um, but listen, I certainly miss it a lot. I miss the competition. I don't miss all the travel anymore. You know, you, when we were playing, I probably sp only spent about eight weeks in my own home, you know, because I would come back to South Africa for a few weeks. Uh, so it was a lot of travel. And I think at this point in my life, I, I, I don't know if I'm, able to do as much as, as as I used to, but certainly I'd love to be back playing or, or at least have the opportunity to, to work on it to get back out there. 
but I certainly wouldn't play as much as I as I used to in terms of tournaments if I did get back. Tim, I, w- I wanted to come back to, to Dale's point about um, the courses you played well because I think you know obviously you're pegged as a as a short hitter uh, on the, on the PGA Tour and, and the stats bear that out. But interestingly enough, I mean you had three tie thirteens and an eleven and obviously a second place at the Masters over a over a period of time. Um, and obviously, the Masters is, is traditionally pegged as a as a long hitter's course. What would you attribute that to? Well, I think um, the first thing is I always enjoyed the Masters. I, I always made a conscious effort to go there with the intent of enjoying myself because it's a huge honour to be able to play there. We all, as golfers, dreamt of it as kids. So I didn't get intimidated by the course or caught up in in trying to play well. I just went there to have fun and enjoy it. Um, and enjoy the experience. So I think that allowed me to play a little bit freer than most guys. A lot of guys go there so caught up in trying to win that tournament that they're not able to relax and play their own game and, and, you know, it's to the detriment of the game. So I enjoyed it. And then again, you need to be very accurate with your irons and your approach shots there because the greens are such you've got to be in the right spot. And front of the year, I came second the course was very wet and played extremely long. I mean, I was coming in with hybrids and five woods all over the place, <laughs> where now these guys are coming in with nine irons and wedges. Yeah, it, it, it really wasn't about the length of the golf course for me. Um, I didn't mind if there were long golf courses. If I was playing well, I, I felt like I could still compete even on a long course. Just just a quick word on that t- t- 2006 Masters, Tim. Your, your best finish in a major. You were never closer than two shots from, from Mickelson who ultimately won that tournament in 06 uh, in that final round. But do you think that was the closest you got to, to a major title? Obviously in shots, it, it, you know, it, it was. But do you feel like yeah. that was the closest you got to, to winning a major? Yeah, I mean, I really had a, a great chance there because it, it was a weird week. Um, it's a little fuzzy still, but I know we were called off the golf course on, I think it was Saturday evening. And we had to come out on Sunday and finish our third round and then obviously play the fourth round. And when they called play, I was about three or four under through five holes, really making a good charge. And then we were called off and had to come back out early the next morning. And on Sunday, I finished that back nine, I think with a 41 or 40, which at the, so at the time I had the lead. I think I was leading the tournament at one point during that third round. And then obviously the back nine of 40 or 41 really put me back the leaders again. So, yeah, when I look at that week, I look at that nine holes. If I could have come out and finished that third round playing the way I had started it the day before, I would have had a great chance. And then in the in the final round, I was paired with Tiger, which throws the whole span in the works at, at that time. You know, that's 2006. He was, you know, the biggest, well, he still is the biggest name in golf. You know, when you went from playing with just... <laughs> your groups on the first few days to playing with Tiger on Sunday, there's a whole different buzz. Um, and it took me a few holes to get comfortable. Not that I came out playing terribly, but we were both kind of one over par or so through six or seven holes. And then all of a sudden we both kind of caught fire and both got back into the tournament on the back nine. So that was a lot of fun um, being able to raise my game, playing with Tiger um, on that back nine and ultimately have a chance to win. Just staying with the Masters, um, do you remember your very first look? Now, as you said, you dream about playing at Augusta. I'm sure you stood on the putting green as a kid with your brother and said, this is to win the Masters and all those kind of good things. Do you remember driving into Augusta National? Do you remember that first, the, your first reaction? 
Yeah, well, I, w- I was lucky, you know, when I qualified, I was still at, at university at North Carolina State. And the minute you qualify for Augusta, you're able to go and play practice rounds, um, which I didn't know. Awesome. So twice while I was still in college, I would take a weekend off and, and drive down to Augusta, which was quite a long drive. Uh, I can't remember how long, but um, and I'd take a teammate with me. They weren't allowed to carry the bag or anything, but they could walk the golf course with me when I played. So, yeah, I got to go to Augusta several months before the tournament. And, yeah, I mean, the most amazing place, right? I mean, (laughs) and one of those days when I went to play, I was literally the only guy on the golf course. So that was a kind of a surreal thing. You know, when you're watching it on TV your whole life, you see the crowds, you see everything. Well, I show up one day in my beat up. Actually, I didn't have a car. So one of my teammates drove their beat up car down there, <laughs> um, pulled out my clubs. You know, you, you get a caddy. And literally, I was the only guy on the golf course, which was, yeah. I've, and I've, unfortunately, in those days, all the cameras were terrible little, you know, wind up camera things. But I do have photos of, of that day um, with these grainy photos. But yeah, it was, that was incredible. Um, and can you remember what you shot? But then obviously, Oh no, you did. You didn't really keep score, and the course plays completely different um, away from the Masters. Uh, it's much slower. It's not as firm, and it's really not very difficult until the week of the tournament. How highly would you rank Augusta in in your favourite golf courses? Because it's associated with the Masters, and just that week, it's obviously way above any other tournament that I've ever played. Would you say Augusta National is the greatest golf course in the world? I don't know. You know, there's some really funny holes uh, out there, particularly during the tournament when it gets so f- quick and firm. Um, you know, looking at like a 16 green and, and seven, there's, there's some really interesting holes. But as a whole, it just works. You know, the golf course just works. It, it creates all the drama that you want. Every shot has your attention out there. So... I would have to rank it as the best. It has to be the best, yes. Of all the traditions at Augusta, you know, the, um, well, you never won, so you never got to go to a, go to the dinner. But, you know, the Champions Dinner, which is special, I mean, I think every one of us would have liked to have gone to that. Uh, the par three course, the, um, you know, Gary and Jack Nicholas staying on the first tee, well, with Lee Alder this year, staying on the first tee. Of all those traditions that Augusta have, and there are a whole lot more of them, which is your favourite? I think the fact that past champions get to come back and play, and I think that's more of an honour for those guys that won. I mean, I wish I had won because then I could go back every year. But I think that's very special for the guys. And obviously now they have kind of limited that to, there's an age limit on that, I think. But those past champions get to go back and do that dinner every year. So I think if you're part of that past champions group, uh, that's got to be the the ultimate club in golf. Do you watch any golf on television? I have been. Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, I like to see what's going on, particularly if I have uh, some friends that are in the mix. And obviously, I still have a lot of friends from from Durban area that still caddy out there. So I always like to see what their guys are doing. You know, I'm always, uh, yeah, rooting for them. So, yeah, I enjoy seeing what's going on out there. Of the new players, the Jordan Spieths and the Justin Thomases and all the new players in the club, Brand Bryson, we, we're going to talk about, I'm sure, in more detail. But of those players... Which are, which are your favourites? Who do you pull for? You know, well, I think we'd be lucky in golf right now where so many of these young guys are just great guys. You know, um, they seem to be respectful of the game and, and, and people around them. And I think 
golf's in a good place with a lot of these guys. Um, but obviously, a few couple of years ago, when that whole group of Colin Morikawa and Hovland and, and Matt Wolf came out, uh, you, you could see right away that Morikawa was a, a special player. He's right up there. A kid like Xander Shoffley handles himself really well, and I think he's got a great game and a, and a lovely swing. Um, I've also been lucky enough, my home club, John Rahm, is a member here. So I've been out there and watching him hit balls. And these guys are all just really impressive now, you know, and, and they're able to come out at such a young age ready to win. You know, I know when I came out of college, I was a good golfer, but I just didn't have the belief that I, I had the tools to come out on tour and, and win yet. But these guys are coming out ready to ready to win. So that's, an, that's a very... Uh, interesting thing to see what's been happening now with these younger players. They're just more prepared mentally, physically with every aspect of the game. And it's probably due to better techniques of teaching and, and how they're brought up as junior players. But um, yeah, I mean, the, the game has certainly seems to have gotten younger. I, w- I want to go back to the beginning. I always love hearing how guys got into the game and, and how they got involved and where they are today. But I mean, you started hitting golf balls at a super young age. I mean, you were like two, three years old. Uh, did you come from a big golfing family? No, it, it just so happened that when I was about three years old, my, my parents moved from Amamsam Toti to Amkamas and the home was right on the golf course. So living there, my dad was a golfer. He never got much better than an eight, nine handicap, but but he was he, he really loved the game. And then my older brother, Raymond, being five years older than me, I always had that older brother to compete against. So, and he, he became a, a good golfer and captained an Atel junior team. So on weekends, we would go out and play every weekend, you know, from about the age of, I would say, seven or eight. My dad stopped playing in the competition with, the, with all his buddies and would take me and my brother out to play. So, you know, I've got to attribute a lot to him doing that uh, for us. You know, and then once we got, once he felt we were good enough, so at about 13 or 14, he then let us join in the in the men's competition on Saturdays. But apart from those weekends, I would again say from the age of eight or nine, I would come home from school and go to the golf course every day. Um, very seldom did I miss a day at the golf course. So, you know, my life was getting home from school, going to the golf course, hitting balls, you know, putting, chipping. My dad would stop there after work. He'd have a couple of toots in the pub, and uh, we'd be home typically when it got dark. So, which in Durban is about you know, half past three in the afternoon. <laughs> those, those are the fondest memories I have of golf. You know, and still when I get back to Amkamas now, I'll, I can still chip and hit some little pitch shots. So I'll go in that same uh, tee box and hit into the into the chipping green there. And obviously, I love going out and helping any of the youngsters. Uh, you know, if they need some help with their game, I like watching them hit balls and you know give them a few tips here and there. But you obviously like, I mean, it's, it's, it's self-explanatory, but I mean, you're obviously an extremely good junior player. But on Christmas Day, tell us about Christmas Day 1996, because that's when you jump on a plane and you head over to the States to go to college in North Carolina. I presume it was on a scholarship that you went over there. Yes, I mean, that's a, that's a great story in itself. You know, I, I've got uh, Peter Makovic to thank for that. I was playing in a, uh, I think it was an Atel stroke play event at Durban Country Club. In the summer of, uh, well, not this, in the summer here, in, in June, July of, of 1995. And I was playing with Tony Makovic. And I asked him what he was up to. And he said, no, I've been in college at North Carolina State. 
I said, oh, that's nice. You know, I always kind of wanted to do that, but obviously the opportunity didn't never arose. So I'd been out of high school for a couple of years at that point. So without me knowing, Peter went over to watch um, Simon Hobday play at the U.S. Senior Open at Pinehurst, which Simon ended up winning, if, if you guys remember. Um, during that visit, uh, Peter spoke to the coach of NC State and said, you know, there's a kid in South Africa who I think is really good. If you give him a chance to come play, I think he could really help your team out. So probably October of 1995, I get a phone call from a very southern accented man <laughs> on the other end asking me if I wanted to come play golf in North Carolina. And I, you know, I didn't know what my options were going to be, if it was going to be doable. But, you know, my, my mom uh, was pretty insistent that I should go and convinced my dad to, <laughs> to let me go. And, um, yeah, I had to rush around and do some exams and some tests to get into the college. And lo and behold, the cheapest flight out of South Africa is on Christmas Day. So that's how that came about. <laughs> um, and, and the great story is when I landed there after 30 hours, however many of traveling, I get into Raleigh and it's snowing. It didn't typically snow there, but this day there was a lot of snow on the ground and it was snowing and uh, Coach Sykes had never seen me hit a golf ball before. You know, he was just going off of Peter Matkovich's word that I could play play golf. So the first thing he did is he took me to a range and I hit golf balls in the snow so he could see what I could do. <laughs> Tim, you could have had such fun that day. Could you imagine if you'd stood on the tee and clapped a few to the right and shanked a few? <laughs> you could have had an absolute blast. But, you know, well, he, you know Tim, a, a friend of yours or somebody, sorry, I shouldn't say that, a friend of yours, but somebody who claims to know you quite well from those amateur days is a, a guy who's a member of our golf club and he's the captain. A guy by the name of Chris Delport. Yes, yeah. You remember him? I do, I do. Now, I, I told him a story yesterday that you remember, do you remember Neville Sundelson? Yes. At Houghton Golf Club, Neville's grandson just won the club championship. His son, his one son finished second and his other son finished third <laughs> in, our, in their club championships. So I was telling Chris this, and he said, oh, that's nothing. You remember that guy, Tim Clark? He won the club championships at Uncomas. His brother won the B division, and his father won the C division. Is that true? <laughs> it's a little bit backwards, but <laughs> um, my brother won the A division. Ah. And I won the B division, but I was like 11 years old or 10 or 11 or something. So it's basically and, Yeah. So Tim's saying if he was year, older, he would have won the A div. And, and I won in a playoff too, by the way. But um, I think I was 11 or 10. But that year, my dad did not play the C division because he wanted to watch us play. And then the next year, he did play and he won it. So we could have had the sweep, but uh, no, it was just myself and my brother. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a much better story the way Chris Delport tells it. <laughs> <laughs> Should never ruin, a, never ruin a story by being honest. Yeah, exactly. And my brother wouldn't. My brother wouldn't be happy with you saying he won the B division either. By the way, okay. <laughs> at the at the annual awards dinner when you were voted the golfer of the year in South Africa, you told a wonderful story about the first time you ever saw Gary Player. You want to hear that again? <laughs> it does, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so again, oh man, I must have. I couldn't have been any older than six years old. But you know, at the time, Gary would play these exhibition matches around the country. You know, so, the, you know, I guess this is how I told the story at, at the at the gala because Gary was in attendance. So um, he's playing at Scopra Golf Club 
and uh, we walking around and I remember him getting in the bunkers and hitting a bunch of shots out of the bunkers and being, you know, very impressed. But on one particular hole, he hits his ball into the bush. And it's one of those typical Natal bushes where maybe a dog could crawl in there. Well, I'm six years old. So I got in there and got his ball for him. And he said, I'll give you a ball at the end of the round. So at the gala, I informed him that I'm still waiting for the golf. <laughs> Which I think he then gave me one. So. <laughs> I remember when he went up, he actually threw it to you. Yeah. <laughs> it was very clever. Tim, you've, uh, you've still got uh, close ties to, to Unkamas where you learned your golf and, and, and had that, that hole-in-one early and uh, very early on. You can tell us how old you were. But um, what do you think learning on, on, on a coastal course like Unkamas did for your game besides obviously um, making you completely comfortable uh, in the wind? Well, chipping on all that grain completely ruined my short game. But uh, <laughs> other than that, I think it was more of a case of how much golf I played and the availability that I had. Yeah. You know, they were always very encouraging of allowing us to use the golf course and play. And I think that's the most important thing. You've got to give junior players a chance to play golf. So that was the biggest thing. Then a golf course like that is very narrow and very tight. So that could also be a reason why I became such a straight driver of the golf ball. You couldn't afford to hit it offline. And growing up in the wind, you really learned to control your golf ball. I mean, you know, going to the golf course every day and practicing, most days there was a lot of wind. And no matter what way the wind was blowing, I went and practiced. It didn't matter. So I think I got used to playing in, in tougher conditions. And then certainly a little golf course like that tests your game. You know, if you hit it offline, you're in bush. So... And the greens are tiny too, by the way. So when it gets windy, it's a tough little golf course. So no question it, it, it played a part in, in how I developed my game. How much is made of your, your short hitting, you know, in, on tour, you know, if you compare the stats and, and where you shaped up, uh, you know, whether it was mm. off the tee or with your, with your long irons. It, was, there, was there someone who perhaps you, you looked up that preceded you on tour, like a, you know, like a Corey Pavin or someone like that? And is there a current player who you think kind of mirrors your game from a short-hitting accuracy point of view? Yeah, you know, when I went to college, believe it or not, I wasn't that short of a hitter. I, I remember getting to college and my coach couldn't believe how far I actually hit the golf ball for my size. So unfortunately, I think as the years went on, I did get shorter, no question. Like I said, I remember being in college not thinking I was very really short. You know, you, uh, you saw a guy like Tiger in college, you hit it just 100 miles. But after that, there weren't many guys that hit it a long way past me. I would have only been 10 yards, 15 yards behind some of the longest hitters. I do think uh, with what's happened in my back with this arthritis, uh, definitely played a part. I noticed over the years just how short my swing had gotten. And that wasn't by design. That was, and I didn't work with a coach. So I think just over the years, this arthritis really limited my, my rotation. I didn't know this for many years until I had this injury did I realize probably what was going on. So being a self-taught golfer and not having a coach, I would always go out there and just try and play with what was comfortable. And over the years, I guess my swing just morphed and got shorter and shorter and shorter. So I guess that's really where that came from. Like I say, I, I had a decent amount of speed when I was, when I was a 19, 20, 21 year old. So growing up, I didn't look at shorter players. I didn't think of myself as a shorter player. Um, but certainly Ian Woosnam was always a little a hero of mine. Um, being a short guy, I actually, I must, I'm, I think I'm taller than him by about four inches. <laughs> 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 but um, 
he was always someone that I, I obviously Sevi. I, I mean, as kids, you you look at these the superstars, you know, so Sevi. But Wisdom was someone that I related with, not being the biggest guy, and seeing him get to number one, winning Augusta, and you know, I've obviously had the great fortune of meeting Ian and chatting to him, uh, you know, o- over the years, and 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 that's been nice. But um, nowadays on tour, you're not going to see a guy get his tour card that hits it as short as I did towards the end. Yeah, I just don't mm. think it's possible. I think um, the golf courses are too tough. There's too many guys that hit the ball a long way now to allow for a guy like myself or, or even look at a Jim Furyk. Maybe someone gets on tour doing that, but will they be prolific winners? I, I just don't see it, you know. Um, and with respect to that, Jim Furyk to me is the most underrated golfer that there's ever been. And uh, he's always someone I had just a huge amount of respect for because he could do everything. I can only wish I had had his, uh, a short game like his. <laughs> but what are your feelings on that? The fact that you need to be a long hitter to to succeed on tour? It just is where the game's gone, you know. Um, if you look back at, at over the years, your best drivers of the golf ball have always been the most dominant players. Jack Nicklaus. I mean, Dale, you, you could talk to this more Absolutely. than me, but Jack was the greatest driver of the golf ball in his era. Then you get to Greg Norman, greatest driver of the golf ball in his era. Tiger Woods, for that stretch where he dominated in, in 2000, was winning majors by 18 shots or whatever. He was by far the best driver of the golf ball. You know, then after that, he might have lost a bit of accuracy, but he was the best at everything else. So it was fine. He could stay at number one. Um, Rory, when he was winning, best driver of the golf ball. So what's happened now is that everyone can be a great driver. The equipment has allowed for everybody to hit the ball pretty far and pretty straight. It's become easier to hit the ball straight too. You know, forget about the distance, size of the driver, the golf ball, allows everybody to be a pretty decent driver of the golf ball. So you cannot separate, guys aren't separating themselves that much anymore with driving, but everyone can be good and long. And if you're not, it's just going to be very hard to keep up with everybody else. Two things, uh, Tim, that, that I know irritated you, and I'm going to start with the first one, which is at the SA Open at Durban Country Club when they, they made you pre-qualify, which is absolutely ridiculous. And then when they, they changed the rule of the long putter that you couldn't actually rest it against your body. Have you kind of, ex, you know, over the years, have you kind of accepted it? At the time, did it actually make you more more determined to, to do well? Looking back now, listen, I think they did made the right decision. I think they did the right thing. It, it really should probably be banned, you know. Um, the issue I had with it is why did they even let it happen in the first place? You know, what these were supposed to be people enforcing the rules and looking after the integrity of the game. Why didn't they stop it 40, 50 years when, when it first started? You know, so my issue was that I'd started using that thing in college, you know. Um, so I'd played my entire professional career, which was almost 20 years with that style putter. And now you're telling me to change and compete now against the best players in the world using something that I've not used in 20 years. You know, it was going to be a huge adjustment. Let's just put it that way. So that was the big issue. I I didn't think it was fair that all of a sudden I have to change what I'm doing, you know, when that was allowed for so many years. 
Then the other argument I wanted to bring to the table was if you're going to change, if you want to roll back the game, well, let's take metal drivers out of everybody's hands. Let's go back to wood. Let's create that skill in hitting the golf ball again. Because I still felt that, okay, take my putt away. Maybe I don't putt as well. But if everyone has to go back to hitting a wooden driver, you know, in a ballada golf ball, well, I'm going to have an advantage again because I don't believe they're going to be able to control the ball as well as I can, you know? But that's obviously not what happened, right? We, we're still allowing guys to hit a driver that's this big. So it's taking guys that are mediocre drivers or bad drivers and turn them into good drivers, you know? So it then becomes a, a putting contest, which I don't think that's how golf should have been. I mean, uh, I always look back at uh, Sam Sneed, Ben Hogan, the greatest ball strikers. I mean, they, they would stand up today with how well they hit the golf ball. I mean, you could argue that they're the best ever still to do it, right? Um, they couldn't putt. Sam Sneed couldn't putt. He was putting side saddle, you know, hand <laughs> down. Hogan couldn't putt. And they won 80-something tournaments and 70-something tournaments respectively because their ball striking was that good. But you can't do that now with your modern equipment. You cannot separate yourself because the equipment makes everybody pretty good. SA Open, having to pre-qualify for that SA Open at Durban Country Club. Yeah, you know, in the end of the day, it probably came down to some politics, really. Um, but yeah, at the time, I, <laughs> I felt like I was a PGA Tour member. I didn't play that year because of the wrist surgery, but I still had my card because I was going to get to play PGA Tour events the minute I went back to the States. So I don't know if I've ever heard of a PGA Tour player, especially from South Africa, being made to qualify for the South African Open. <laughs> I, I mean, I, as I understood it, any tour player, PGA Tour card holder that wanted to come play could probably have played in the tournament. <laughs> so it was a mystery to me why they made me qualify. Um, but it certainly gave me incentive to uh, come out and, and prove them uh, prove them wrong. But at the end of the day, I think I had to shoot 64 or 65 at the pre-Q to get in. I mean, there's a good chance that I never got to play in that tournament if I'd missed the qualifier. And you go on and win it. Um, just uh, going back to your early days in, in KwaZulu-Natal, uh, Tim, I'm going to ask you a little bit of a left-field question, a, a guy that you would have crossed paths with that also ended up on the PGA Tour and has had a long storied career then. I say storied because I think you can describe Rory Sabatini as relatively colourful um, and not without controversy on the tour. Did your paths cross in the early days? Did you play junior golf together? And and and, and are you someone who knows Rory, Rory Sabatini well and, and have come to know him even better in your days on tour? Yeah, I mean, we obviously played a ton of junior golf together. Him being from Durban, I mean... All our junior and amateur days were were competing against each other, um, and it was a good uh, little rivalry. Um, you know, you could see that there was something special in his game very early on, and his grit and determination. But yeah, once uh, once we left high school, you know, he he came straight to the states and played at Arizona, where uh, Manny Zerman played. Um, Gary Matthews, who who ended up caddying for me for a long time, and is at the moment caddying for. Joaquin Neiman, he was playing there. So I, I did want to go to college right out of high school, but it just didn't happen. You know, I just didn't get the opportunity, um, you know, needing a scholarship and, and all that. So, yeah, I spent those two years in Amkamas just practicing, working on my game, um, you know, and before getting that opportunity to go to college in the States, um, I played on the Eisenhower team uh, that went to Paris. Um, we were the first South African team allowed back and it was a long time. I mean, I don't know how many years, but it was probably 20 years or so. Um, and 
luckily enough, funny enough, had a chance to play with Tiger in one of the rounds. So I, I, my first round with Tiger Woods, we were both 18 or 19 years old. Um, but yeah, after that, I only saw Rory again once I got my tour card. Um, but he lived in Dallas, so we didn't really get to mix a whole lot. Um, but I did run into him at last year's Phoenix Open. Uh, I was in the parking lot. I took taking my son to watch, and I ran into Sabo, and we had a quick chat, you know, caught up, saw how, see how he's doing. But, yeah, it's, it's impressive to see him still playing so well. He's, what's he, 45 now, and he's he's been playing some good golf of late. And uh, good for him, healthy, and he still has the drive. And, and obviously, when he turns 50, no question, he's going to go out and play that Champions Tour. Tim, did you speak English or Slovakian when you chatted to Rory? Slovakian. Slovakian is pretty smooth. <laughs> is he is he one of the more misunderstood guys on on the USPGA tour, Tim? I, I wouldn't say he's misunderstood. I think Rory's his own man. You know, Rory Rory does what he wants to do. So yeah. um, if I, I don't know if you can be misunderstood when you're doing, you know, when you're living how you want to live. So, um, no, it's pretty clear. But the, the great thing with him is. He's always been that. He's always been how he is, you know. Um, and listen, I love what he brings as a competitor. You know, wh whenever we had team events and he was my partner, I couldn't have been happier because I knew I had a bulldog with me. You know, the bulldog and the penguin together. How did you get that yeah. nickname? <laughs> that came from Sergio Garcia. You know, because Glenn Murray uh, was his longtime caddy, who's from Kloof. And yeah, I guess um, after college and about my first wrist surgery. I put on a few pounds around the belt, you know, and, <laughs> and um, you couldn't argue that I looked a little bit like a penguin when I walked down the fairway. <laughs> no, just tell me, <laughs> tell me this isn't true, Tim, because I, I heard via via. Apparently, you arrived to play college golf in America, but you arrived with iron covers on your golf clubs. Please tell me that's not true. Yeah, so I mean that—that that was I was going to get back to that when when coach took me out to hit balls in the snow. The first thing he saw was the uh, the iron covers, and he thought, no! oh, my word. You've never, you've never seen a guy break 80 with iron covers, you know? Um, but uh, you know how it is in South Africa. I mean, I, it, it was expensive to get a set of golf clubs. So whenever I got a set of golf clubs, I guarded them with my life. And at the time, yeah, I mean, I you know, and you'd use them until they just wore out of grooves. So at the time, I had a set of, they were Ben Sayers, which I don't even think they make golf clubs anymore. But um, Dell shaking yeah, I just his head. That's to a note. My clubs lasted as, as long as I needed. Little did I know when you got to college, they'd get you any clubs you wanted. You know, but um, yeah, for me, I was just making sure I got as much use out of them as I could. The the Presidents Cup. Obviously, you played in the Presidents Cup, and I'm sure you know with your your attitude, your determination, and everything, you you really enjoy that kind of match. Um, I, I was, we were chatting a little, a little while ago and I, put, I said, if I was trying to choose a captain for the President's Cup, you would definitely be at the top of my list in the future. Would that, would that be something you'd be keen to do? Oh, I'd love to do that for sure. You know, I've even reached out to Trevor. Trevor's the captain for the next one. I said, listen, I'd love to be an assistant, you know, if you needed any help or what have you. So I'm not sure what's going to happen there. I think he's, you know, I think the tour has people that they want to go as assistant captains that are going to be down the line. I, I don't think I'll ever get that chance to be a captain. I, it seems to me like they want players that have won a major or something. You know, there, there's sort of some stipulations there. So whether I qualify for that, uh, I don't know. I, I don't think so. But um, 
that certainly would have been something fun. And, you know, I was lucky enough to have an opportunity of being an assistant captain under Greg Norman in Australia. So I learned quite a bit about that whole thing uh, while I was down there with him. Um, but yeah, those team events are fun. I mean, particularly to play in. It's, it's one of the few times where every shot feels like the back nine on a Sunday. And I think that always got me excited to to play. If you look at the President's Cup compared to, to the Ryder Cup, do you think that there's there's something missing there that it, that it needs a bit of a boost, a little kick just to get that kind of hype and elevate it to another level? Well, I mean, certainly for a few years, um, particularly when, when Nick became captain, as a team, we discussed trying to get the point structure changed to where it's the same structure as the Ryder Cup. So fewer matches, uh, you're sitting more players, but then you're also getting to play the players you want to play and the guys that might be hot at the time. So the minute you play fewer matches, it gives a team that might be perceived as an underdog a bit more of a chance. So that would really be the only thing that I think they can do to kind of create a little difference in how it goes down um, would be to revert to some of the point structure of the Ryder Cup. But let's be, let's be honest. America do need one that they can win. <laughs> <laughs> shots fired, Dale. Shots fired. Very brave sitting there at Swartcourt. And I don't think it's going to be for long either because I think in, in 10 years' time, there are going to be so many Asian players in that team that that are going to be great players that I think that whole President's Cup is going to change completely. And I think the popularity will be beyond belief. Yeah, and I think it's still a very popular competition. You know, I, um, and obviously as a player to go and play, it's it's a huge honour and, and a lot of fun. And, you know, there was years there in the, in the mid-2000s where the internationals actually had the stronger team. You know, we, we were going in there with Ernie, VJ, Mike Weir, Retief, Cabrera. I mean, we had a very, very strong team and sometimes on paper an even stronger team than them. But yeah, it's just those those last few slots, you know, the depth, that US team depth is incredible. I mean, their worst players typically in the top 20 in the world or 25 in the world. And uh, so that that's really hard to compete against. Tim, am I right inside at the President's Cup each player gets, I don't know what you call it, a stipend, I think is maybe is the right term for it, uh, an amount of money that they have to give to charity. Yes. So, uh, you know, as players, you don't get money going into your own bank account. But, yeah, they give, I'm not sure what the number is nowadays, but it started out as $100,000 for you to designate to charities of your choice. It, 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 that might be more now. It might, you know, I think I remember it going to one fifty. So um, yeah, that's the sort of incentive for, for the players, which is which is nice. I mean, they, you know, golf and the PJ Tour has long been about giving back to the communities that they go and play in. So um, yeah, that that that's kind of what they do for the guys. I don't know. You obviously didn't get my email with my bank details. <laughs> yeah, I was, was, was going to say uh, if you've still got a bit of clout, this podcast could really do with some funding. <laughs> I mean, there's the three of us here working for bloody cheese and crackers. I mean, so if you could have a quiet word there. The long and the short of a yeah. charity, yeah. And Dale doesn't need any more cheese and crackers, so... I steal all the cheese and crackers. <laughs> you, guys should get a, you guys should get a Clover sponsorship. <laughs> but, but Tim, I, I want to just bring it back to South African golf again, and your opinion on, on the crop of youngsters that, that we've got playing at the moment and uh, and your thoughts on where our next major winner could perhaps be coming from? Yeah, it's, it's hard to keep up with, with 
down there because uh, I don't get to see the golf, but I, I keep up on scores. When tournaments come up, I like to see what's going on. You know, it, it looked to me like about five, four, five years ago, we had a huge group of youngsters coming up and I expected to see a lot of, a lot of wins out of these guys. And it just hasn't seemed to happen, I guess, you know, particularly um, in Europe, but I think South Africa is going to continue to, to put out great young golfers. You know, we've got the climate, We've got the junior programs. We've got the amateur golf. So, you know, guys are going to continue to come out, and, and particularly youngsters. Um, you know, right now you've got uh, Christian Besadenhout out there playing well. Um, Dylan Fratelli, who, funny enough, I used to chat to. They, they, his parents and him used to come vacation in the Amkamas area. So I remember chatting to him as a teenager. Um, asking me about going to college and what he should do. And I suggested he, he go to college and play college golf. Um, you know, and he just went on tour last year. So we're going to continue to see guys come out. But yeah, I really thought a few years ago watching, um, I don't want to get names wrong, but you know, you had Hayden Porteous, mm. Alex Handel, uh, a, a few, and I, I hate to leave some names out, but you know, I was watching these guys who all come out with great golf swings and um, you know, obviously the, the opportunity is still there for these guys. Um, so I would like to see, you know, some more, some more wins happening out there on particularly in the European tour from the guys. Have you, have you heard of, of this youngster by the name of, um, Vilko yeah. Ninar? Yeah. Have you seen him hit? Well, luckily again, early on in the year, uh, one of the tournaments was telecast over here on the golf channel and, uh, they were talking about him. So I watched him hit. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's impressive <laughs> how far he is and, that's right in the mold of the, of the, of the guy right now. You know, if, if he can hone in and all his other skills, um, you know, figure out, which is something that Justin Thomas did great. You know, I played with Justin, one of his first events in Hawaii six years ago, and it was incredible. How far he did. I mean, he's not much bigger than me. And I mean, he was flying at 50, 60 yards by me, Dale, you know, it's, it's, but he was hitting his wedges just as hard. You know, and, and in the last few years, he's become, I would say, the best wedge player on tour. And he's learned to hit smooth half shots with his irons. And that's yeah. what's allowed him to do what he's doing. So, yeah, a guy like Ninaba, he's got the tools for sure. You know, now it's just about getting some experience, learning how to manage his game. And, and you, get, you get to play those little shots with your irons, you become a dangerous, dangerous golfer. Tim, day to day now, each day, you wake up in the morning, what do you, what do you spend your time doing? Are you involved in a business? I mean, what do, you, what do you spend your time doing? Yeah, Dale, you know, I haven't gotten involved in, in too much. Like I say, with the kids, I, I enjoy time with them. So um, either myself or my wife will take them to school. Um, that's always fun. Then uh, I typically, through COVID, it's been tough. I hadn't seen my physio in, in a long time and, he gets me in a, in a place where he gets my rib cage lined up and I can start getting back in the gym more. So when I'm on that sort of routine, I, you know, I might drop the kids at school, get in the gym. I still like going out to the golf course and chipping and putting around uh, because I'm able to do that without much pain. And so I, I like doing that. And I'll do that for a few hours. Believe it or not, I think my chipping is a lot better now than it ever was. <laughs> I've... Um, I figured out some technique stuff, which, uh, yeah, whether it holds up uh, under pressure or not, it's another story, but I, I've softened my arms a whole lot around the greens and I've learned to hit shots with pitching wedges and, and I don't need so much loft anymore. So 
my technique on around the greens has gotten a lot, lot better. Um, so I, w- I really would love to play again to see if if <laughs> if it's if it holds up. But um, no, so you know, it's really just staying busy with the kids. Like I say, I'm off to see my physio tomorrow in Chicago. Yeah. When I get back, I'll get back in that routine of of hitting the gym and trying to get strong again to see if that will allow me to start swinging a little bit um, on the golf course. Um, the other thing that I've got involved with was a few weeks ago, there was a consortium of South African guys over here who invested some money into the Sharks, into the rugby team. Yes. And um, I was fortunate enough to, to, to get involved with them through a friend. So, yeah, I was involved with those guys and what they did with the Sharks. Only I'm, I'm just a small uh, little drop in the hat there, but... That's going to give me some interest. You know, I've always stayed abreast of the South African sports, be it the Springboks or, and particularly the Sharks. You know, I've always been a Sharks guy. So, yeah, I like keeping up with, with what's going on down there, uh, particularly sports-wise. Is that through uh, Marco Mazzotti from, from, from Toti Days, uh, Tim? Um, yes, well, obviously, I never knew him in his Toti Days, but, yeah, yeah, you know, he's obviously in New York now. And, yeah, I was just thrilled that they let me be a part of their, their, their little group because I think they're going to really try and do some great things with that franchise and hopefully it, it drives rugby and sports in South Africa as a whole in the right direction. You know? Yeah. You haven't pleased the Stormers and Province fans too much as you steal half their team, but hey, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> all's fair in love and sport, right? <laughs> Tim, as, as we wrap this up, uh, I actually just want to ask you out of interest, uh, where in the States are you? I'm in Arizona. So, you know, I've been in Arizona close to 20 years now. I moved out here when I got my tour card, which was 2001, 2000, 2001. At the time, I was still living on Carl Pedersen's couch at North Carolina State. So I felt like, listen, if you've got a tour card, you need to at least have your own bedroom, right? So um, <laughs> I moved out here. It's a great place to live. We have uh, great weather, particularly in the winter. Our summer is a little bit hot. It it can hit 48 to 50 degrees Celsius in the summer here. Hey. So there's not much you can do in that. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's a great place to live. You know, I think, uh, you know, when you do come back to South Africa, it would be really great to, you know, to, to get together and, and have you get together with some of our younger players. I think you've got so much to offer them. You know, South Africa's produced so many wonderful players, but very few of them have had your determination. And, and um, you, you know, you're very thoughtful about the way you play golf. And, and as Dennis Hutchinson said, as I said on many occasions, you really do play golf as well as anybody's ever seen. And, you know, I think you've got so much to offer. It'd be really great to, you know, if you were able to to make some time when you come here to to spend with some of the younger players. Yeah, I mean, I, I love giving my insight to guys. You know, I, I have some friends in the Amkamar Scopra area whose sons are keen on golf and, and I've tried to help them over the years when I'm there. And then uh, even now over here, Kids that have come out of North Carolina State, I've chatted, I'm chatting to one right now um, about his game and just the mental, a lot of the mental side of it and what it takes. And even uh, some of the players that have been on tour for a long time, you know, you, you kind of sometimes forget the basics and what you need to do to be a good player on a, on a weekly basis. So I enjoy doing that type of thing. And um, yeah, if the opportunity arises to, to chat with more guys, I, I, I love doing that. As I look at you on the screen there, you look so happy and, and content. And I was thinking like, well, you know, you're only, what, 40, 45, 45 years old? I mean, mm. you know, you, you've still got so much golf left in you. Are you bitter? Or are you resentful at, at 
the, the hand that life's dealt you in terms of your, your body and, and the injuries that you've got or have you made peace with it? I think at this point I've made peace with it, but sure, you're going to have those days where you're frustrated, you know, uh, particularly, I mean, I really get sad when I watch Augusta, when I watch the Masters, because <laughs> that's just the greatest place to go play golf, you know, and, and when I'm sitting at home, unable to play, I know I don't have an opportunity to do that in the near future. But um, the first few years of not being able to play was tough. And I spent so much that time trying to figure out what's wrong, what can I do? Now I kind of understand what's what's happened to me and, and what I might need to do to get better. And, you know, at this point, it's not an option to go and have that surgery. I just don't think it's, I just don't think it's the right thing to do. So I've made peace with it. And then I, I also look back as to how lucky I've been. I mean, I've been one of the luckiest human beings alive, right? You know, so I've had these injuries, I've had setbacks, but I mean, I got to play golf for a living. You know, it's, that's that's not work, right? I went, <laughs> I got to do something I loved every day. Um, the competition would be the one thing I miss. And that's the one thing that I enjoyed the most. You know, the fact that you're out there in the moment, having to do something with your golf clubs, you know, and, and you feel that pressure. And, uh, you know, I, I love that. There were times it got the better of you, but that's why you love to play golf. So, you know, I look back now, I have to be grateful for everything that that's happened for me. And, um, you know, and, the, and then you see things like what just happened with Tiger with his car accident, you know, oh. I couldn't have been happier for someone when, when he won Augusta, a couple of years ago. I mean, that was one of the greatest things I've ever seen in golf. I, I compare it to watching Jack when Jack won in 86. Um, it's now almost hard to separate those two. Um, and for so many years, Jack's win in 86 was the greatest thing, uh, in my opinion, to happen in sports. So, you know, when something like that happens to Tiger again, I, I can only be grateful that, hey, you know, I'm dealing with just a little bit of a back issue. You know, um, there, there's people going through a lot worse than me out there. Tim Clark. Thank you very much for giving us an hour of your time to be on the podcast. And I think I speak for all of us on the podcast when I say hopefully we will see you with a golf club in your hand again one day. Thank you. Yeah, I, I still uh, I still think about it and it will, if possible, it will be something that I do. There it is. A win for the ages. The long and short of it. Simon Hill, Dylan Rogers and Dale Hayes. Thanks for listening. We'd ask our friends, except we don't have any. So please like and rate this podcast. Until next time.